We are continuing our series this morning on soul purpose and trying to understand these deep, deep longings that we have uh, as people that are created uh, by God. And uh, we, we've talked over the last few weeks this idea that we are both physical and spiritual in nature. And while it's easy to understand the physical aspect of who we are and the needs we have from our physical longings, you know, you, you can't go too long without food until you start feeling it, right? I mean, I, I'm back. I can't go a couple hours without food until I start feeling it. Like my stomach starts grumbling and like I'm getting these signs like you need to eat. And I've learned by, for myself, like I eat sometimes out of boredom. Do you? I mean, like, well, I got nothing to do. Let's just eat, right? I mean, we just we do that. We can't go too long without water. We can't go too long without air. There are these physical things, these physical needs that we got to have. But the same is true in our soul and in our spirit. There are these things that we long for, and if we go too long without them, they start showing effects in our life. They start showing effects in our attitude and how we think and how we interact with other people. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at how do we want to be secure and how we find security, how we long to be loved and how we engage in love and and significance. And this week, we're talking about one that I think we all desire. I know we all desire, and it's probably one we struggle with, and it's this idea that I desire this longing to be respected. I want to be respected. And I want to talk through because when we throw that word out, that word gets thrown around a lot in our culture, right? There are songs written about it. There, there are movies made about it. There are stories written about it. Marketing is built around it. Political careers are made or broken because of it. I mean, we're seeing that play out right before our eyes, this idea of respect. And I don't respect this person. I respect this person. That, those words get thrown out there. And, and even, you know, I was talking to my mom this week because we were getting ready for Mother's Day and I sent her a gift for Mother's Day and we were talking back and forth and she was just talking about how teenagers are different today than when I was growing up. I said, Mama, I got two of them. I know they, they are. But she's like, no, I was around the other day and I heard this one girl talking to her mom and she's like, these teenagers today, I can't believe they way they talk to their parents. They show them no. If that was me, I'd like come through that phone and grab them. You know, I could see my mom. Like I had to very much talk to respect to my mom and I still do but we, we think about respect in that nature and the word respect carries so many different meanings and understanding you know maybe we can respect someone because of their accomplishments or respect someone because of the position they hold we can even respect things and ideas like you know you can, we can even respect the weather we hear the weather's going to be bad we're you know I, I respect that color I, I have a newfound respect a few years ago for earthquakes I, I was in California I was in the middle of the night I was laying in my bed and I woke up and I really thought four people were on each corner of my bed just shaking it back and forth and I'm like what the heck is going on and I I wake up and I'm in the middle of a a small earthquake I I get up and I didn't know what to do I I grew up around tornadoes I knew you're supposed to go hide in the bathroom so I said I guess you do that in an earthquake which I don't think you're supposed to do but uh it was just like I had this whole new respect for even weather and the things that we can't control but what is this longing we have for respect Do we just want people to think that we're important, accomplished, smart, and talented? Is it all based on what we do? Will people respect me because of my accomplishments? And the truth is this. We instead desire that we want people to respect us for who we are. Not necessarily 
what we do. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And, and there are two key aspects to define respect before we look at this passage of Scripture. We're going to be in Luke chapter 20 today. If you've got your Bibles, your phones, you can go ahead and get to there. But before we look at this passage, I want us to understand what is this definition of respect we're talking about. What are, when we say we long for respect, here's what it means. First is this, is that we have this intrinsic value. There's something inside of me that is of worth. Not by the work of my hands, but by who I am. And there's something at the very core of my soul that gives me worth. As followers of Christ, as those that believe that God created us in His image, we find that worth in the fact that we are created by God, formed by His hand in His image. But it's not just this intrinsic worth. It's also this idea that we all have an equality of worth. So we have intrinsic value, but we all have an equality of worth. There's not some in here that are more worthy than others, that are more valuable than others. There's not people in here that are $100 bills and people in here that are $5 bills. I mean, they both have value, but one has more. And that's, that's not what respect is. Respect is understanding that we all have intrinsic value and we all have an equality of worth. And so we're going to look at this passage of Scripture today where Basically, somebody confronts Jesus and basically disrespects Jesus. They challenge His authority. And they're trying to discredit Him. They don't like the fact that Jesus is becoming well-known. He's getting a following. And they are trying to cut His legs out from under Him. I mean, we've kind of seen this over the last few months in our political campaign, haven't we? I mean, we, it's attack after attack. Somebody gets to follow and go after them, this. And that's what that was happening here. Jesus was kind of becoming a threat to the establishment and they were wanting to disrespect Him and discredit Him and tear Him down. And they, they even came, were as bold as to say, where do you get your authority from? Where do you get off saying this? Who puts you in charge? Is basically what they're saying. And Jesus does what only Jesus can do and He answers them in this amazing way by telling this story. I'm sure if you are around Jesus very much, there were times you got incredibly frustrated. You're just like, give me a straight answer, Jesus. Like, stop with the stories. Like, I just want to know where you get your authority from. And he, but he, what he would always do is he wouldn't just answer their questions. He would go to the heart of the matter, right? He would really deal with what their challenges were, and it was all about respect. And so he tells this story of this this master who leases out this vineyard uh, to these tenants and they start to use it. And, uh, and then eventually he comes back and asks for just a portion of the return. And so it's not an unreasonable ask. So let's look at what happens here. Luke chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 9 and 10. And it says this, And he began to tell the people this, this parable, Jesus did. He said, A man planted a vineyard and let, let it out to the tenants, and went into another country for a long while. So just to understand right quick, this guy bought a bunch of land. And, and what does it even say he did to begin with? He planted the first vineyard. Right? He got the vineyard going. He wasn't like, hey guys, here's this land. Come and work. He did all the hard work to start with. Got it going. And then he leased it out to these guys and said, hey, come tend to it. And from what we can understand from the story, there was no, you know... You got to give me fifty percent. You keep fifty percent. It just this understanding. It's mine. I started this. Use it as you want. And so that's kind of where we find this. And so uh, he went to another country for a long time. 
And then when the time came, which kind of means there was some, maybe some kind of agreement that he would come back, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. And then it gets crazy. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. When I first read this story, I'm thinking, how incredulous of these tenants to do this. I mean, this man who owned the vineyard, who had gotten it started, who had helped them out, who basically let them have free reign, they were reaping the benefits of someone else's property. Yeah, I tell myself, man, I would have been joyful to see this guy's you know, servant coming back. I would have been like, man, I want to give you thanks. I want to express my gratitude. I'll gladly share a portion of it with that. But these guys are crooks. These guys are thieves. And they wanted to give him nothing. You know what? As I say that, I think when I look at it from their side of the story, maybe I can begin to see some of their argument. It's not a good argument, but I can see sometimes how I can think this way as well. Let's just say it had been 20 years. And this guy shows back up. These guys have been living their life. They've been living off of the fruit of the land. And this servant shows back up. And they don't know. Maybe they thought the guy was dead. And he starts demanding a payment. He says, hey, just a portion. And they're like, you haven't worked this land. Who, who are you to come to? We're the ones. We bought this seed. We've been doing this. And they have this idea of, look at what we've done. And this idea of, of telling him, you don't deserve anything. And what do they do? They beat him. Instead of showing him gratitude, they show him the door. And the truth is, I think you and I sometimes struggle with the same thing that these people struggle with here. And it's this, what I call, what this Jesus is pointing out here, the first attack on our respect and how we show respect to people is when we act with entitlement. Like we think it's, we, we act like we're owed something. Entitlement is the belief that we are inherently deserving our privilege of privileges, our special treatment. Something that was a gift now becomes a right. It now becomes expected and unappreciated. Entitlement causes us to look at other people as a source for our pleasure and the advancement of our own purposes. You ever get caught in that trap? You ever get caught up in entitlement that all of a sudden maybe somebody had been giving something to you for a while and then they stop giving it to you and you're like, how dare you? How dare you stop giving it to me? Like, I'm entitled to this. We, we begin to think of unfair requests. Like, you know, I lent you this. I, I need it back now. Right? I, I had a neighbor one time growing up that I told him, I was like, hey, anything in my shed your shed. You're welcome to it. You know, I just use it, put it back. And uh, I, I had no problem with that until like over a course of about four months, like I come, and my shed's empty. Like, it's just gone. Like, the stuff is gone. And, like, I have a pretty good idea. And so I go over to his house. I knock on the door. And I'm oh, just like, Bob, hey, how are you? Can I, you know, do you have my lawnmower? Because I need to mow. He's like, yeah, I got it. I was actually going to use it this afternoon, though, if that's okay with you. And I was like, okay. You know, as long as I, like, eventually we had to have this conversation. Like, I don't mind you using my stuff, but can you at least just put it back? And he had, like, pretty much confiscated it as, as his own stuff. That's entitlement. I've been guilty of that before in my life. And we end up telling people, you know what, you're not entitled to anything, so just go away so I can live off my entitlements. I mean, that's how we end up. When we become so entitled in our life, we think nobody else deserves anything and we deserve everything. And that's the way these tenants of these fields were doing. And here's what this causes. 
When we live with entitlement, we negate the work of grace. Right? Think about it. If you get to the point where you believe that you deserve everything, then you have no need for anyone else or the grace of anyone else. If, and if you don't see yourself as ever in need of grace, then you will never look to extend grace to other people as well. When we live entitled, we stifle grace. It shuts off in our life. And here's where we become. We become egotistical. Don't we? We become egocentric. This, we're focused on ourselves. I'm better than everyone else. We start looking at ourselves, that our value, I'm the $100 bill, you're the $10 bill. Or maybe the nickel, even. You know what I mean? We just start having this complete disparity between us, and that's when we begin to lose respect for people, and people begin to lose respect for us. So let's see what happens next in the story. So time goes by, verse 11. And it says the master then sent another servant. And then they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. So imagine if you're the master. Maybe this first servant comes back and you're like, they beat me up and you're like, what? Why would they do that? And you're like, maybe you communicated it wrong. Maybe you, they thought you were coming to take everything away from them. Maybe there was a misunderstanding. I'm going to send somebody else back and we'll make sure they clearly communicate the message this time. Certainly, they wouldn't act like that. The second service gets there and what do they do? They, they actually, the words there, the, the understanding of the words beat and treat shamefully meant that they literally beat him beyond recognition. They beat him where he was not even recognizable and they began to say things about him and the master to tear down their name. They treated them shamefully. So it wasn't just that they kicked him out. They literally took away his identity, took away his reputation. Why does this happen? Why do they treat him worse than the first? This is a clear rejection of of what they perceived as this unfair attack. Why do they beat him and shame him? Why do they make it so personal this time? Because I think these men are stepping into the second part, and this is what Jesus in this parable is showing us. There's a second way that we disrespect people and that we feel disrespected, and it's when we dehumanize people. And that's what they literally took this guy's identity away. They beat him to where he was unrecognizable. And dehumanization is thinking others as less than human and not worthy of humane treatment. We make our issues bigger than the individual. We make our problems bigger than the person. And we stop looking at this person or this group of people with any type of honor, value, or sympathy. All we see is how wrong we think they are and how we think, how they think is wrong, how they speak is wrong, the way they act is wrong. Everything about them is wrong. And we dehumanize them. We, we move away from seeing them as people and we see them as the problem. And instead of seeing injustice happening to them, we start seeing a deserved consequence. And we think, well, maybe that person didn't do it, but they probably did something in their past to deserve it. And we start putting consequence on people. And this is where prejudice, discrimination, marginalization all have their roots in dehumanization. And what happens when we embrace this? Here's what happens. Just like the first one cuts off grace, dehumanization is we negate the work of mercy. We shut off mercy. 
If I stop seeing people as people, if I never see their perspective, I'll never understand their point of view. And if you don't ever see yourself in need of mercy from others, you will never extend mercy to anyone else. And that's what was happening here. These men, they were they dehumanized. Their, their master had become the man, right? No, not some person, just somebody in this far-off land that had nothing to do with them. And they've completely dehumanized him and everything that was about him. And that's what Jesus is attacking with these people that were attacking his authority and disrespecting him. He's saying, look, you, you are creating this separate. You're not even looking at me as one of you. You're looking at me as a threat. And you're dehumanizing me. And what happens with this? Just like egotism steps up when we, uh, and that first, when we do this, when we dehumanize people, we become narcissistic. And here's the difference between narcissism and egotism. Egotism just puts me as value, more valuable than other people. Narcissism puts me at complete value and others at no value. It completely devalues everyone else. You ever get caught in that trap? Maybe it's not with people. Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's people who have a certain belief system, a certain political view, a certain understanding on this moral issue or that issue. And, and we have this perspective of them and we put prejudice and thoughts and we put attitudes on them and we don't even know them. We don't even have conversations with them. We meet somebody and we start making judgments about them before we ever have a conversation with them because we've dehumanized them in our mind. We've made assumptions and we've created prejudice that we completely disrespect them as a person. I wish that's where this story stopped because that's bad enough in itself. But it says now in verses 12 and 15, uh, it says that the master then, he sent yet a third. And this one also was wounded and cast out. And then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is his heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And what will the owner of the vineyard now do to them? So this third servant, they do the same thing. They wound even more. Then the first one and the second one and they throw him out and then the son comes and they kill the son. What are these guys thinking? Right? I mean, how stupid can you be? What, what do they think the master is going to do next? Just let them continue as nothing happened? Just be like, oh, okay, I guess I won't do anything now. They just killed my son. I'm not going to do anything. No, I mean, their livelihood is probably, by this decision, is cut off. They're not making rational decisions. You ever got yourself caught in that kind of thinking? Or you start making decisions regarding people and relationships that just aren't rational? And here's what happens. Here's what sneaks in to our lives when we do this. The same thing that moves us away where we have this, uh, where, we, where we dehumanize people, where we have this sense of entitlement. We now move toward active hostility toward other people. And hostility is this complete opposition and resistance to a person or an idea. And we begin to do intentional acts of harm toward them. It's not enough that bad things are happening to them. We try to make bad things happen to them. And it's not a difficult step to move from entitlement to dehumanization to hostility. And here's what this breeds in our life. 
It breeds this, when we embrace hostility, it negates the work of love. So we're cutting off grace, we're cutting off mercy, and we're cutting off love. And in the absence of love, hate grows. And instead of loving our enemies, we hate them and convince ourselves they have the same feeling for us. So I want you to think about this for a minute, this whole picture, because when we get to this point, you're like, I would never do that. But the fact is, when, when somebody does something that we disagree with, way over here, whether it's a thought or an idea or an action, or even something negative that they say to us, even if they treat us with disrespect, and we begin to feed disrespect back to them, we start on this journey where we feel entitled. How dare you say that about me? How dare you treat me that way? And once we become entitled we stop thinking about them as people and we start dehumanizing them. We stop showing them grace and then we stop showing them mercy. And for long enough, if it's not dealt with, we become hostile to that person and we desire evil to happen to them. We don't want good for them. We want their lives to be miserable. And maybe we even take steps to make that happen by how we treat them, what we say, and what we do, and this hatred and anger grow in our heart and we cut off love. I'm sad to say that I can look at past relationships in my life and I can see this journey. I can see where I became a person who was completely disrespecting of others. And the truth is, when we don't experience or express respect because of entitlement, dehumanization, and hostility, we will eventually experience and and express personal, cultural, and moral degradation. Our, Our relationships personally will be affected. Our inside, how we feel on the inside, will be degraded. And even culturally, it will happen with enough of us doing this. So then... I want you to understand, this is why we're created for this longing to be respected. This is why God put this in our heart. This longing to experience is the same longing that others have. It is this idea that as I respect you, you respect me. As I show you respect, what am I showing you? I'm showing you grace. I'm showing you mercy. And I'm showing you love. And as you respect me, I'm experiencing grace and mercy and love from you, And it's this amazing cycle that God created out of this longing of our heart to be respected. As I pour it out to you, you pour it out to me. But we as humans sometimes fall short, don't we? And we cut that cycle off. And there's one simple principle that those of us that are followers of Christ are commanded to follow. We don't get, when disrespect is poured into us, we don't get to have the freedom to pour disrespect back into other people. And it's this principle of sowing. You will reap what you sow. Whatever you sow into someone else, you will reap back. But I want to tell you, most of us in here, we don't take on the role of the sower. We typically live our lives in the role of the soil. We wait for things to be sown into us and then we react accordingly. We don't take initiative. We respond and we react 
to what people do to us instead of intentionally sowing respect and grace and mercy and love. They disrespected me, then guess what? I'll disrespect them. That's what we say. They'll treat me like this, then I'm going to treat me them like that. They want to treat me as if I'm entitled, or if they're entitled, I'm going to withhold grace. They want to dehumanize me, I'm going to withhold mercy. They want to be hostile toward me, I'm going to withhold my love from them, and I'm going to justify it. We do that, don't we? Man, don't we do That's an easy cycle to get in, to play the role of the soil. And my challenge to you this morning is this. Is to stop being soil and start being the sower. Start sowing respect. Start sowing grace and mercy and love. You're longing, we all long for respect and to feel valued. And if we sow that in others, it will return to us. But I want to close with this thought. Because I want to be very honest here this morning. If you're looking, ultimately, to have this longing to be respected in your life, filled by other people, you will constantly be wanting. You will constantly... People fall short. I don't care how much people love me. How about he's... Katie is probably the person in this world that loves me the most, but there's times I'm even disappointed and I feel disrespected from her. And I'll do the same to her. And Christ says here at the end of this parable, He closes with this thought that you and I, ultimately, He he uses this passage, it's found in uh, Psalms 118, and He says, He looked directly at them in the end, verse 20, verse 17, and He says, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's a passage out of Psalms, and he's referring to this passage where he talks about the salvation of the Lord coming to Israel. And he says, look, if you want to really feel valued, feel intrinsic value, and feel an equality of worth, find it in a relationship with God. Let that be your bait. Let that be the time that you are the soil. Be the soil for God and receive His grace and mercy and love. But then go out and sow grace and mercy and love to others. So my question as we close is this. Are you sowing? Are you soil? Are you responding and reacting? Are you intentionally going out and showing respect? to receive respect? Is there a place in your life you're acting entitled? Is there a place in your life that you are dehumanizing people? Is there a place in your life that people in your life that you are openly hostile toward? We stop reacting out of the soil and start instead sowing peace, grace, mercy, and love in those situations. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? So we close in a time of prayer. I know this is a maybe can bring up some some difficulties in our heart and really challenge our thinking on some things and really maybe bring up some relationships that have hurt us over the years. And I just want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray first as we enter a time of prayer that we say, Dear God, would you please open up our hearts to you? Would you plant in our heart your grace, your mercy, and your love? God, could we as a church, 
and individuals in this church, could we open our hearts to receive that fully from you, to know that you have placed value in us, to know that you look at each of us equally. God, would you allow us to know that you created man, that you respect man, and that we belong to you. But God, we also come this morning and ask that we would become sowers ourselves, that we would not look to others and just simply respond by how they treat us. And God, instead of heading down a road of hatred and dehumanization and egotism and narcissism, that God, we would instead walk down a road where we are sharing the grace and mercy and love that you have shared with us, with others. Father, challenge us to do that today. Let us forgive when we need to forgive. Let us forget when we need to forget. Let not bitterness take root in our life to grow these things, but instead let your love, peace, grace, and mercy infiltrate our hearts in such a way that we can't help but express it to others. In your son's name we pray. Amen.